0: This looks like a microcosm of America to me. I didn't vote for Obama, um, basically because I couldn't figure out what his agenda was. He went to scream change, 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 change what? Barack Obama was elected in 2008. I was in a depression for a week because I knew the country was going to be even further on the skids than it's ever been.
1: Whenever the legislators endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people, or to reduce them to slavery under arbitrary power. They put themselves into a state of war with the people who are thereupon absolved from any further obedience.
2: Every time Obama comes on the TV, which I watch Fox News, all during the day, I switch a channel to the Hallmark channel. So I figure he's
0: gone, then I switch it back. It's the policies, it's the socialism, it's the Marxism.
1: We are done backing up! Done! This president's willing to be obsequious to our adversaries, to denigrate our allies. It's his core philosophy of being anti-American.
0: It's a lot like uh, Germany. you know, Post-war, pre-war Germany when they said, go Hitler, and then they thought, oh crap, this guy's insane. Next April, we're going to celebrate the commemoration of the sesquicentennial of the Civil War. And if uh, things don't change, sometime during that commemoration, maybe it's gonna give folks ideas about starting it up again. I can't pace around the house gritting my teeth and taking Xanax anymore. I gotta get out here and and do what I can. And that way when the purges do start, they'll know who I am and where to come find me.
3: May 5th, 2010, and you've got Oz in your ears. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, Dave Osmond. Hey, glad to be here. Hey, it's Cinco de Mayo, but for you folks, Four ninety nine. Hey, plus tax. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Tea party has got to throw that in. More tax. Got to yeah. have that tax. Well, we're gonna have some uh, some interesting stuff about our. Um, Hispanic Americans and our wannabe Hispanic Americans here on Sure, Concord, I've been own.
4: talking like them ever since I went to high school. That's right. You that's went right. You went to high
3: school with a lot of Hispanics. Sure,
4: I did. Yeah, well, you know, I went to high school with a lot of people from a lot of different countries and nationalities and colors of skin and Not all me. of that.
3: No, no. Shaker Heights High School, yeah, there was the third Jews, but that's about as you know, uh, exotic as it got. All the rest
4: were. I don't know, man. Thirty three and a third percent Jews, man. <laughs> I, that's bigger than New York
3: City. What can I tell you? Uh, there, there was no. There was one African American in the school, and he became my campaign manager when I ran for vice president. And my English teacher, <laughs> who was a, m- my model, Mister Pickering. He was just so funny. He came up and he said, "Bergman, hmm, smart move. You've cornered the black vote." So it's Cinco de Mayo. What does Cinco de Mayo? commemorate i have to admit my ignorance it
4: well, is very revolutionary you know yeah
3: yeah, yeah. which revolution
4: when how uh, you don't you are talking to the wrong person man <laughs> i just care about the coke i'm taking across the border <laughs> what day is it it's the fifth uh you know i got I'm meeting my friend i'm meeting my 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 amigo on the other side you know and he's going to pick up uh you know these five uh maids for uh, beverly hills oh they're c- gonna go and uh and then
3: uh, you know uh, no, no, my- you're thinking yeah. of cinco de maria those oh, are the five cinco men's. de Maria, Okay, si, well, something else, man. okay so here, here's our first Hispanic Okay, story. Under uh-huh. an educational law going to the desk of Arizona Governor Jan Brewer, right, for signing, mm-hmm. schools in Arizona will lose funding if they offer any courses that promote the overthrow of the U.S. government Promote treatment of a particular race or class of people are designed primarily for students of a particular ethnic group or advocate ethnic solidarity instead of the treatment of pupils as individuals. As Think Progress notes, the Tucson Unified School District's popular Mexican American Studies Department is the target here. Mm-hmm. The state superintendent charges that the program exhibits ethnic chauvinism, but it gets worse. Okay. Meanwhile, in a move that was mo- more, meanwhile, in a move that was more covert, until the Wall Street Journal uncovered it, the Arizona Department of Education has told schools that teachers with heavy or ungrammatical accents are no longer allowed to teach English classes. <laughs> that's, that's right, no longer allowed to teach English classes. I'm following classes. this, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're trying to follow yeah. this. Oh, but, you know, it, it's just, it just gets worse because, remember, this is all a function of uh, of, of this whole... The, the pattern of uh, Arizona's recent pattern of discriminatory discriminatory education policies is ironic. Well, it's all things ironic, it's absurd, and is likely a function of the no child left behind funding requirements, okay? Given that the state spent a decade recruiting teachers for whom English was a second language. Mm. Then in the 1990s, Arizona hired hundreds of these teachers whose first language was Spanish as part of a broad bilingual education program. Many were recruited from Latin America. Then in 2000, voters passed a ballot measure stipulating that instruction be offered only in English. Bilingual teachers who had been instructing in Spanish switch to English. Teachers who don't meet the new fluency standards have the option of taking classes to improve their English. But if they fail to reach the state's targets, they will be fired or
4: reassigned. I am going to take English as a second language so I can
3: teach English as a second language. It goes on and on and on. I and mean, here's an interesting take on. Arizona's recent um, anti-immigration law by one of my favorite reporters, Greg Pelosi, did it for truthout.org, a real cool site. The way the media plays the story, it was a wave of racist anti-immigrant hysteria that moved Arizona Republicans to pass a sick little law signed recently requiring every person in the state to carry papers proving they are U.S. citizens. Don't buy it. Anti-Hispanic hysteria has always been as much a part of Arizona as a saguaro cactus, and excessive air conditioning. What's new here is not the politicians' fear of a xenophobic teabag uprising. What moved GOP Governor Jan Brewer to sign the Soviet-style show-me-your-papers law is the exploding number of legal Hispanics, U.S. citizens all, who are daring to vote and daring to vote Democratic by more than two to one. Unless this demographic locomotive is halted, Arizona Republicans know their party will soon be electoral toast. In 2008, working for Rolling Stone with civil rights attorney Bobby Kennedy, our team flew to Arizona to investigate what smelled like an electoral pogrom against Chicano voters, directed by one Jan Brewer. Brewer, then Secretary of State, had organized a racially loaded purge of the voter rolls that would have made Katherine Harris blush. Beginning after the 2004 election under Brewer's command, no less than 100,000 voters, overwhelmingly Hispanics, were blocked from registering to vote. In 2005, the first year of the great brownout, one in three Phoenix residents found their registration applications rejected. I asked Brewer's office, had she busted a single one of those thousands of allegedly illegal voters? Did she turn over even one name to the feds for prosecution? No, not one. Which raises the question, were these disenfranchised voters the criminal non-citizens Brewer tagged them? Or just the not-quite-white voters given the Jose Crow treatment and trapped in document-chase trickery? The answer was provided by a federal prosecutor who was sent on a crazy hunt all over the Western mesas looking for these illegal voters. He said, we took over 100 complaints. We investigated for almost two years. I didn't find one prosecutable voter fraud case. The prosecutor, David Iglesias, is a prosecutor no more. When he refused to fabricate charges of illegal voting among immigrants, his firing was personally ordered by the President of the United States, George W. Bush, under orders from his boss, Carl Rove. Inglésis' jurisdiction was next door in New Mexico, but he told me that Rove and the Republican chieftains were working nationwide to whip up anti-immigrant hysteria with public busts of illegal voters, even though there were none. They wanted some splashy pre-election indictments, Inglacius told me. The former prosecutor himself, a Republican, paid the price when he stood up to this vicious attack on citizenship. But Secretary of State Brewer followed the Rove plan to a T. The weapon she used to slice the Arizona voter rolls was a 2004 law known as Proposition 200, which required proof of citizenship to register. It's important to see the Republicans' latest legislative horror show, sanctioning cops to stop residents and prove citizenship, as just one more step in the party's desperate plan to impede Mexican-Americans from marching to the ballot box. State Senator Russell Pierce, the Republican sponsor of the latest ID law, gave away his real intent, blocking the vote, when he said, there is a massive effort underway to register illegal aliens in this country. How many? Pierce's PR flack told me five million. All Democrats, too. Again, I asked Pierce's office to give me their names and addresses from their phony registration forms. I'd happily make a citizen's arrest of each one on camera. Pierce didn't have five million names. He didn't have five. He didn't have one. The illegal voters, wetback welfare moms and alien job thieves, are just GOP website wet dreams, but their mythic PR power helps the party's electoral hacks chop away at voter rolls and civil rights with little more than a whimper from the Democrats. Indeed, one reason I discovered that some Democrats are silent is that they are in the game themselves. In New Mexico, Democratic Party bosses tossed away ballots of Pueblo Indians to cut native influence in party primaries. But what's wrong with requiring folks to prove they're Americans if they want to vote and live in America? The answer is because the vast majority of perfectly legal voters and residents who lack ID sufficient for Ms. Brewer and Mr. Pierce are citizens of color, citizens of poverty. According to a study by Professor Mart Barreto of Washington State University, minority citizens are half as likely as whites to have the government ID. The numbers are dreadfully worse when income is factored in. But that's the point, isn't it? Not to stop non-citizens from entering Arizona. After all, who else would care for the country club lawn but to harass folks of the wrong color? Democratic blue. Giant Toad Supermarket. Attention all money savers
0: in the Richmond, Syracuse, Tri-City area, and all you wonderful people out at Ed Siegelman's Ground Zero Equal
3: Opportunity Apartments. Yes, our manager Darwin Paul has opened up his pants early this Christmas to let you in for the biggest in unhealable Deep Deep Cut Discounts. Now, agglutinated beans, giant and hypo size, two for 47 cents. Ma Rainey's Moleskin Cookies, buy the ten at $1.87. Save on Peach Pits. This week only, see our boy at the back. Dog food for the doggy? Well, doggone it, we've got all six varieties of martyr brand, kidney and beef awful. Talk to Charlie Cranepool, Ed's dad, at our liquor department about choice USDA bourbon and rump roast cocktail party mix. Last and least, there's plenty of seasick fresh produce at our vegetable counter. Don't worry about the flies, we won't weigh them. So wary shoppers, take the lift out of life and drop your load on the giant toad. We give double discounted multiple Multiple identity identity. Spam, 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 spam. Well, Dave, things are really smoking in Washington, D.C. Really? In Washington? Yeah, yeah Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. The D.C. Consul mm-hmm. has legalized medical marijuana and medical marijuana dispensaries for patients who qualify. Okay. No. And nobody's going to veto that? Well, no. Th- that council's of, of itself. That's I don't it. believe that can be overrun by the D.C. committee that they're run by in the Congress. I think that's all just budget and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think it's done. Well, the, the drugs widespread use, you know, is an open secret in the city, according to the, Um, According to uh, somebody here, somebody right. uh, studies have shown that it has one of the highest rates of use, right? 11% of district residents admit to lighting up over the past year in spite of heavy fines, according to federal surveys. That's who's figured out. I'd like to have given that survey. Under the new bill, doctors would be allowed to recommend, but not prescribe. Recommend. So you recommend two ounces of the drug for use over a 30-day period. Now, now. Medical marijuana is really strong, okay? I mean, it's duckine. So two ounces a month. Imagine what, what's going to happen when all those legislators, you know, all those guys in the Senate and the House start to, like, spark up during those long, dull sessions, right? <laughs> so, hey, baby, let's get loose outside. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Hey, okay, excuse me, Mr. Speaker, but I just— I just flashed on the fact this is bullshit. (laughs) I mean, you know, this is bullshit.
4: Wow, it could completely change the face of Congress. Here, light up, man. Oh, yeah, this is
3: crazy, man. What are we voting on? Ooh. Hey, McCain, try this. (laughs) So McCain takes a a drag. Yep. And he goes, Yep. I ran with who? (laughs) Oh
4: boy, I'm waiting for that time. So they passed it, and it's uh, it's legal in D.C. Well, that, that's gonna that is gonna change our legislative um, schedule considerably.
3: Uh, well, 14 states have le- legalized medical marijuana already, and you know California has got a uh, proposition up to make marijuana just legal. Just legal. Anyway. Just
4: straight legal. Well, we've talked about how this was has been going on now for 30 years, so it might as well happen uh, now as, you know, we've lost a lot of tax money
3: there. Oh, well, 40, we billion, $40 billion industry in California alone, okay? And Schwarzenegger knows it. Says, not, I would like this money, he's thinking, you know, to balance the budget. One of the interesting things that's happening is that the people that are becoming aware of just how discriminatory this is as a business practice is the hemp industry itself, the industrial hemp industry. Paper, mm-hmm. rope, mm-hmm. all of that. They're beginning to say, wait a minute. And they went back and they found out the following interesting fact, which is one of the largest supporters of, of, of criminalizing marijuana were the newspapers because they had huge interests in pulp forests. And hemp is a substitute, a paper substitute for wood pulp. Definitely is. Oh, yeah. It definitely threatened them. So the very people we would look to to open the story up, right, they were threatened because they had these huge forests, mainly in Canada, that were used entirely for pulp. Do you know until 1890, there was really no pulp paper? It was all made from linen and hemp hemp and and cotton. Yeah. Hmm. I wish I could get the New York Times in cotton. You know, after I read it, I can wear it. (laughs) You know. <laughs> just just yeah,
4: pull it on, pull it on over your head. Well, uh, it's the thing about uh, uh, medical marijuana. I mean, you said that the doctors can recommend it. Like, I think you should get high. Well, I, what, what it, what I it mean, means uh, is
3: if you get the little certificate and, and a DC cop finds you with uh, two ounces or less and uh, you've got this, he's going to leave you alone. It's like, you know, hey, please let, move on. You know, but that who's going to be the first senator or representative who's going to walk into the chambers with his medical marijuana certificate and a baggie of, you know, O.C. ganja?
4: I don't know, but he's going to get a big hand from a lot of Americans. (laughs)
2: Out of your driveway Your brain locks Cause you always take the wrong way When you're gonna learn When your tears are falling sideways you can't win At the game of love So you think You're gonna talk about your sorrow You decide You better wait till tomorrow Cause Going ahead to win At the game of love Tried everything The whole wide world but always turns out the same It might look like A brand new day But it's the same old game Down on your knees Trying to romance her But you might as well Necromancer Everybody knows You ain't got the answer How to win At the game I'm gonna do this my way
4: Well, Peter, let's take a break from the news or the sound effects or whatever it is out there in the in the wonderful world of uh, of uh, radio, sound effects and war. <laughs> let's <laughs> just take a break from that for a minute and talk about what, what we're doing here. We're, we're sitting in this great studio, Naughty Pine, all the way Yep. here on Whidbey Island, and we've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. It seems yes. like almost three. Yeah, and, daily. Da- you know, doing the daily, it every day. The daily show. And... Um, I just heard
3: great news is we're podcasting now. Yeah, we've been podcasting for three or four days and we're up on iTunes and we've been getting five-star reviews up there. We're really, we're becoming a mature site.
4: Now, does iTunes mean that people can download these for a small 99 cents? No, no, it's free. It's free. What what they
3: can do is they can subscribe to us so that they automatically have it downloaded to them on a daily basis. That's cool. It's like having your newspaper delivered to you. So uh, how do you do that? Well, how do you, how do, you do that? You just – you you well, you go to probably – you go to Radio Free Oz and you then go over to our podcasting site, which mm-hmm. is just – there's a hot link on the, on the splash page. Aren't those splash pages Very beautiful? nice. I looked at
4: the one this morning, of course. And...
3: All chic. We are a chic site. There is no <laughs> middle brow on Oz. <laughs> and then you go to our uh, podcasting site that was set up by Tom Gedwillow and there's a place there where you can go to iTunes and you can subscribe. That's really
4: great news because I know that it's difficult um, – Sitting in front of your computer, you know, and at the very beginning, somebody said uh, one reaction I heard to the show was that it took an hour away from uh, a morning edition or you know, from the news, from NPR. And I thought, well, that's great, an hour alternative, except
3: you can't play it in your car, but now you can. Oh, now you can. You can put it in your ears. You can jog. You can do whatever you do. I've learned a lot since starting this show. Uh, as a, Remember, we started it as a live show every Sunday night. Right. Because I, we come out of live radio. Right. I thought, live's important. You're live. It's not important on the net. There is no live. Nobody cares if you're live, and they're not there huddled around their computer the way we used to huddle around radios. So there's no life. They call that the time shift. Then I found out that people don't necessarily sit around their computers and listen to it. You know, they want to hear it on demand, including lifestyle demand. There you go. They're dri- they're driving to work. They want to hear it. As I say, they're cooking, they're doing whatever they want, yeah. but they want to carry it around with them. They don't want to have to sit in one space. I'm beginning to get it.
4: Yep. That's the modern, that is the modern uh, age is you want to uh, uh, have whatever device that it is that you have entertain you in as many ways as it can possibly do that. The whole thing about the uh, uh, iPad, not taking flash animation is one of those cross uh, uh, g- generic things where uh, people want to have everything available to them every every nuance of everything
3: because they you know because the sense is that is the new sense of entitlement which is you know you owe me every possible app you owe me every possible program. I mean that's just taken for granted and I can live with that uh, uh, Starting the show on the web has also got me involved. Uh, with the whole idea of the social network. And after Mm -hmm. we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Scott Wild, who is our new social media guru, and we're going to learn all about it. I have Scott Wild on the phone. Scott is Radio Free Oz's new social media guru. He runs a marvelous company called Wild Inspire. He's up at wildinspire.com, and welcome to the Oz team, Scott.
1: Thank you so much, Peter. What an honor to be here. I am just uh, excited about what what's coming up, and uh, that the fact that you've got Radio Free Oz uh, fired up and burning again. This is great.
3: Now, I want for my own, you know, information for the information of the people that are listening. I'd like you to give me a general description and history of social media because it is pretty brand new. Correct?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it is. It's sort of, you know, probably within the last four to five years, really. Um, it, it sort of started to, to build its foundation and, and kind of grow roots, if you will. Um, you, you know, really started. You know, when we market ourselves, it used to be all about traditional media—the radio and the print and the TV and, and all of that—and you know, that was all about getting attention, and, and that was the way that we marketed to people. And even when the internet first came out, you know, you hear terms like Web 2.0. Well, when the Internet first came out, it was all about Web 1.0, which was about the hardware and the and the physical machines and the wires. Well, over time, the Internet has now become less about the computers and the actual hardware and more about the people, more about you and me. When you look at some of the sites that have sort of taken over as the top uh, sites in the world or most trafficked sites in the world, it's YouTube, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, because you and I are the ones that are generating the content. It's all about you and I and our opinion and our thoughts, and we're now in control of the message.
3: Yeah, control. So that's really yeah. Control is important. I, you know, I have a my I have a 20 year old daughter, and and that idea of control, authenticity, and connection is very important to her.
1: Absolutely, you know, really social media. Um, I, I tell people when I'm consulting with them is that. So you have to treat social media it's like a party. And you don't sell your wares on at the party. You don't want to be that person that walks up and says, Hi, I'm Scott Wilde, would you like to buy some timeshare? Um, you know, because No
3: nobody no wants no I wouldn't, the... Scott. No thanks. I, I've been sold <laughs> over so, it.
1: Go get a drink, you know? Um, So you don't want to be that person that's at the party selling your wares or or pushing your products. I mean, you want to develop a relationship, and that's really what social media is all about. It's about relationship development, and I just tell people that all of their social media sites are just an extension of their current relationship-building skills. You use it to quickly connect with people, and I mean, that's how you and I met, was through Facebook. Mm -hmm, That's true. And And you I saw you post I remember you posted something about your radio club,, yep. and you asked people to um, just go check it out and I went and checked it out, and I had some ideas, and I just tapped you a quick note. It took me probably twenty thirty seconds to say, "Hey, I think I can help you out," and that started our whole relationship
3: and here we are absolutely and here we
1: are I mean exactly, so that 's really about you know it 's about making sure that you 're adding value and you 're building that relationship you know and ultimately your social media gets you back to your your website or wherever it is you're going to interact with or convert that person from being just a site visitor into someone that now has a business relationship with you so you can have the greatest website on planet earth but if no one knows about it or, or no one knows what you do then who cares I mean because they're not going to find you
3: well this is true about Radio Free Oz and one of the reasons that we're, we're working together is that we spend a lot of time on this show and I I must say it's beautifully produced Dave Maloney is as good an audio engineer as exists The the, the people on the show are fabulous but unless we can get out there there's only going to be you know a few people that are going to know about it. I can't afford to put ads in the New York Times or, you know, fly a plane over with a banner that says, put Oz in your ears, but we can do it through social media, right?
1: Absolutely. You know what? It's the largest referral network in history. And we care more about what our friends think than we do what the slick brochures tell us. You know, if you were going to buy a product, I mean, you think about it, uh, you look at Amazon.com. What is the number one asset on Amazon.com?
3: No, it's the user reviews.
1: It's the user reviews, absolutely. It has (laughs) nothing to do with the books and the music. You can get that anywhere. But you can go on and and think of how many times that you've gone on Amazon and purchased something because of the review or not purchased something because of the review. These are people that we don't even know, and yet we still take stock in in opinions and, and those reviews. And especially when these are people that we do know, Then it even pulls more weight with us. So when we're connected on Facebook and we start to see our friends uh, making recommendations or asking us questions that we can give them relevant and important answers to, now all of a sudden we have a connection and you can get immediate feedback. I know many times on Facebook that I've asked a question about something that I wasn't sure. Maybe it was a movie, whether my kids it's appropriate for my kids to see, and I got some incredible feedback instantly from people from their phones and from their you know their computers or wherever they were happened to be at at the time. So it's a way for us to quickly connect and share information. And it, again we we bond even. St- stronger through that relationship and i think it even can help the the parent and child bond you know that that everyone talks about being stressed and the generation gaps well you start to see a closer connection with parents and children even because of facebook and things like that yes you
3: do and you also get this geographical connection in other words you you no longer are are um a, Put at a disadvantage if you're in Bismarck, North Dakota, and I'm on Whidbey Island, Washington. It doesn't matter. You know, the only latency is the speed of light, and I can deal with that. You know?
1: That's exactly right. You know, it was really interesting, Peter. I did a uh, social media ethics class for some uh, junior and senior high school students here in Bismarck. And there were probably 300 kids in the room, and I had them all stand up. I said, stand up if you have a Facebook profile. And they all stood up. And then I said, well, sit down if you do not have a connection outside the state of North Dakota. And, you know, nobody sat down. And then Mm -hmm. I said, well, sit down if you don't have a connection outside the United States. You mean, you, meaning you don't have an international connection of some sort. And about 100 of them sat down. That means that 200 out of 300 junior and high, senior high school students had a global connection, Peter. And you know what? These, this generation nowadays gets such a bad rap because everyone thinks that they're so disconnected that uh-huh. they don't know how to communicate, that they're always stuck in, tw- you know, on their, in their texting, and you know they don't make eye contact, and they're texting at the phone. Well, in my opinion, I really think that it's one of the most creative generations that's ever lived and i think they are globally more connected than we could have ever dreamed of being and, and i ask people think about it if if we would have asked my parents or grandparents at that time in junior and senior high school, out of 300, how many do you think would have had global connections? You know, aside from the few that maybe would have had a pen pal.
3: A pen pal in England or something like that. You're quite right. And what it, I'll tell you, it bodes very well for the idea of bringing the world together. I mean, I know that the right wing is, is turning in their graves when I say one world and world government, but we are a world and we do need to govern certain things that are universal. And it will not be as strange and foreign for this generation to have to reach out and deal with and accommodate and sacrifice for other people yes. and with other people.
1: Yeah. There's no connection. And then this generation, the, the upcoming millennials, they, they, they already know about this. And so we as business people need to you know make sure that uh, we are putting our brand or our product or service in front of them where they live. I mean, you know, all political, you know, regardless of what you think in the political arena, this is Obama understood this when he was trying to get elected as president. Yes. And he actually went on and, and used social media to get more people to come out and vote than ever voted before. It, it elected and, He it and,
3: elected him president of the United States. There's no doubt about
1: absolutely, it. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. So um, regardless of who you voted for, you know, both sides did not use social media the same way and they got very different reviews. I think Obama had, they figured it out that he had probably $48 million in free advertising on YouTube alone.
3: And, and John McCain is of a, a generation where you mention YouTube and he thinks it's something that has to be implanted in you when you go into the hospital or something like it. You <laughs> he, know, he and thinks- it, it's, 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 it's that way. Now, Scott, all right, we're, this is a, the first of many discussions we're going Absolutely. to have. And I thought in this this segment we could get into the entire history of, of social networking, and we haven't. But I just want to let everybody okay. know that Scott and Wild Inspire is going to put Radio Frias right in the middle of this happening. And we'll be talking to you real soon, Scott.
1: Thanks a lot, Peter. Okay, bye-bye.
5: She got her hands in her pockets so and she's waiting for a downtown train Yeah, in the high-heel boots with the straps on low and her head hanging down in shame. Oh, 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 oh The wolves all dress up just like sheep and they go and hit the town And Sharon never sees them, but they're hanging all around. You'll see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree You'll see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree yeah. Sweet little cherry got a switchblade Jimmy come to take her down and forth in Main. Her mind in a haze of better days Before her body was an ad campaign. pocketbooks are all that Sherry sees The dashboard dogs and backseat hogs And down onto her knees Yeah, I am tempted. I am weak Yes, I'm too weak to try to speak Oh, no Yeah I'm ashamed, yeah, I'm ashamed And I've been playing hard you see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree you see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree Little Cherry took the last bus home In the middle of the pouring rain She saw the bad boys sleeping And the good girls weeping Through the fog on the window panes Oh, Cherry oh, oh. wants to make it right But she never has a prayer Cause as long as there are bad boys, they will be penny millionaires. Yeah, I am tempted, I am weak, yeah, I'm too weak to try to speak no I am tempted, I'm ashamed, yeah, I'm ashamed, and I'm to blame tempted by the cherry tree, you'll see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree, you'll see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree.
3: Well, D.C. is now legalized pot, so the senators and the representatives can wake and bake if they wish. Uh, Florida, down in Florida, down in the Senate there, uh, state Senator Michael Bennett, maybe he was high. He was caught viewing images of topless women last week on the Senate floor. A video of Bennett, a Republican, looking at the picture of a computer with these nudes on it was captured by the Sunshine State News. The short video shows the image of Bennett's computer before he clicks away to something else. It's unclear how long the image was on Bennett's screen before he changed it. And this happened during a debate focused on abortion. And here's what he says. Mm -hmm. I was just sitting there bored as they were debating the abortion bill Bennett said I opened it up and said holy sh- s yes, dot, 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 dot. of course that he probably just said holy because he doesn't he yeah doesn't okay. swear right. what's on my screen <laughs> and clicked from it and clicked on it right away Hey! What's on my screen? Wait, look, wait a minute. There's there's naked women on my screen. How did they get there? I love these politicians, particularly the 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 you know the Republican hypocrites. Here's here's another great political story. Yeah. I gotta tell you about this because this is just uh this is just one of my favorites. All right, this is about the Virginia, the Attorney General of Virginia. His name is Ken Cuccinelli. He's very ambitious, mm-hmm. he's deeply conservative. He recently handed out to his staff lapel pins with a redesigned version of the state seal, which shows the Roman goddess Virtue, Virtus actually in Latin or virtue, uh, uh, in, in, in shows her you know in a new way because in the usual version of the seal, Virtus's left breast is exposed. In Cuccinelli's version, it's covered up. And this is the goddess of virtue. This is the goddess of virtue who who used to be showing her breast. Well, didn't that happen with Ashcroft? Um, 2002, yep. U.S. Yep. G- Attorney General John Ashcroft yep. drew ridicule after ordering that the Department of Justice statue showing partially nude forms be covered.
4: These guys!
3: <laughs> you know, I was thinking
4: about that, uh, that uh, uh, medical marijuana story, and I did see in the store the other day hemp chips, uh, uh, you know, except they're called is a brand name, is Hippie Chips.
3: That's right. And hippie they've chip. got that,
4: hemp in them. Oh, so anything to do with hemp. Right? Anything to do with hemp has to do with tying a tie around your head, you know, yeah. and wearing your hair in that awful way that, that everybody wore their hair in 1972. Hippie Chips. Hippie Chips, yep. You know, so the, and there's a picture of a hippie chip and a hippie chick. But she doesn't reveal no, her left No, she breast. does not reveal her left which is too bad because, as I recall, originally she did. Or at least... <laughs>
3: wasn't wearing a bra. Let's talk about vaccines. Nearly 40% of parents of toddlers have delayed or refused a child's vaccination, a practice that endangers not only their children, but others around them, a recent study reports. Refusing vaccines is becoming more common, according to the study, which was presented at the Pediatric Academic Society's meeting in Vancouver. The percentage of parents who delay or refuse a shot rose from 22% in 2003 to 39% in 2008, according to the study, based on records and interviews of parents of 8,904 children between the ages of one and a half and three, and conducted through the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's National Immunization Survey. This is serious stuff. When I was a kid, I took every shot I could get. I mean, and I swallowed every sugar cube to keep me from getting polio. I know taking shots is not fun. When I was in the Army, there was a 250-pound guy in front of me when we stood in line to get our shots, and when he saw the needle, he turned gray and and passed out. But it's not about that. Interviews with parents suggest that many are influenced by medical myths, such as the notions that kids can't be vaccinated when they have a cold or that shots cause autism. We'll get back to that in a minute. Although vaccines were once almost universally accepted, some parents who are too young to remember diseases such as measles now question their importance, says pediatrician Paul Offit of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Yet some of those intentionally under-vaccinated children have helped to spark recent measles outbreaks. In 2008, for example, an intentionally unvaccinated 7-year-old boy brought measles into the country after returning from Switzerland, according to the April Report in Pediatrics. The child exposed 839 people in the San Diego area to the disease, which killed 500 Americans a year before a vaccine was introduced in 1963. A parent's decision not to vaccinate their child puts their own child at risk, but it also puts other children at risk, the doctor said, noting that unvaccinated newborns, children getting chemotherapy, and those with immune deficiencies are especially vulnerable. Now, when First Lady Betty Ford announced that she'd had a mastectomy in 1974, patient advocates said this is groundbreaking, and it was. Breast cancer survivors at the time were often afraid to mention their treatment even to friends. So this really broke that barrier, and, and, and people went in for tests. It was, it was great. I remember when it happened. It was a, I, I always thought that Betty Ford was a, was a very brave person. But today, many people in the public eye, particularly celebrities, feel comfortable sharing their medical problems. Celebrities have the power to do tremendous good. Take Lance Armstrong, my personal hero, who survived testicular cancer. He's advocated for funding and policy changes to help cancer patients, and he's raised more than $325 million through his foundation. Yet celebrities who can command huge audiences and sell thousands of books, have a special responsibility to get their facts right, says Bradford Hess, who studies health communication at the National Cancer Institute. Many doctors say they're troubled by stars who cross the line from sharing their stories to advocating questionable or even dangerous medical advice. Tom Cruise. In 2005, he became kind of like in a fight with Brooke Shields and drew criticism from mental health professionals when he railed against antidepressants and Ritalin on the Today Show, dismissing psychiatry as pseudoscience. That's Scientology speaking. You have to figure out which of those are pseudo. Then there's actress Suzanne Somers, already well known for her diet books and Master products, She released her 18th book recently called Knockout, which experts describe as a catalog of unproven or long-debunked alternative cancer cures. But here's the one that really gets me. Actress Jenny McCarthy, who has an autistic son, has written several books linking autism with childhood vaccinations, even though a host of scientific studies show that vaccines are safe and not the cause of increasing autism rates. Okay. There's a U.S. Today Gallup poll of over a 1,000 adults found that more than half were aware of McCarthy's warnings about childhood shots. More than 40% of adults familiar with her message, that's 23% of all the adults that are surveyed, say McCarthy's claims have made them more likely to question vaccine safety. This is crazy! Yet celebrities can also spread misinformation, as you know, much faster than the average person. They can make those wacky theories appear on television or in the pulp magazines. They have a tremendous amount of clout. And correcting that misinformation, even with a mountain of evidence, can be a challenge. As Hess says, it's much easier to scare people than to unscare them. By swaying parents to delay or reject childhood vaccines, celebrities could undermine efforts to protect newborns and other vulnerable children from devastating diseases, says pediatrician Martin Myers, executive director of the National Network for Immunization Information. He says, I worry about these celebrities who confuse people. I, I don't think they know how much damage they can cause. In her book, Mother Warriors, McCarthy, who declined to be interviewed for this story, says she learned about autism from, I get this, the University of Google. Yeah, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, because nobody would put it on the internet if they knew it was a lie. Explaining complex science, especially in the few minutes Uh, Allotted on a TV program is challenging, the doctor says. Audiences sympathize with McCarthy, who says she doesn't need science because she observes her son Evan every day. At home, she writes, Evan is my science. What? How can you argue with that? The doctor says, It's her child, it's her body, they win. So, She urges parents, this doctor urges parents to speak out about the need for vaccines. Now, actress Amanda Peet now works with vaccine groups, encouraging parents to get their medical advice from doctors rather than from celebrities like herself. Amanda, you go, girl.
0: And now, a pause in the busy day's activity. As the doctor leaves his little rectumary, walks out the marble path, covered with Aggies, cat's eyes from his youth, down the long path of life, past the elm grove of superstition, and toward the true way. Yes, it's Dr. Whiplash, and he's come again to the font of perpetual resurrection to answer some of your questions. Dave, what's the first question?
4: Well, I have a letter here from uh, a gentleman in uh, Flotsam's Mistake, New Jersey. <coughs> and uh, actually, he's been kind enough to send this letter in on a tape cassette for you, doctor, so we'll hear his voice, and you can use his voice to help you analyze the problem.
0: It's a novel idea. But leave it to the Japs.
4: Hey, doctor Whiplash, I am a Japanese businessman. Why have I written before? so i still suffering from the same complaint. I only suffer in the office during the day. At night, I eat out and feel better, and although I can't sleep, it's because of a part of my noise. What should I do? Uh, Still, uh, Hideo (laughs) Gump.
0: Dear Hideo, your symptoms are shared by people other than your race. To wit, Many executives complain to me uh, as suffering from flushing, blushing, running of the mouth, high stool, seat cramps, delayed borgerigmus, and shortness of pants. They also, like you, feel relieved of these symptoms away from the orifice. Can anything be done? Yes. And it should be done now. They, and you, Hideo are suffering from farmer's lung. Usually confined to barns and sponge warehouses, it is attributable to a hybrid fungus, which lodges in the massive air conditioning systems that supply oxygen of sorts to the big buildings that your daddy works in. Although the same bug can be found in home furnaces, it's often uh, rendered ineffectual due to the fact that poor people can't afford air conditioning and are forced to run their furnaces to heat their homes during the summer. This fries the fungus. <clears throat> we doctor people use the word microsporifera funni* in referring to this little pest, and literally it can be translated as funny spores, long known as the cause of Theodore's disease, running sores and athlete's feet. Recently, this microscopic troublemaker has also been blamed in the nasty disease labeled Hartmann's Palsy, formerly Strassman syndrome, the only cure for which is death. I'll answer any questions, dear friends. Just write me if you still have the strength. Until next week, this is Dr. Whiplash. I'm out for lunch. <laughs> ¶¶
3: Coming to the end of Oz. Oh, boy. Well, at least we get a poem. Yes,
4: you do. And this one um, is another one of these new words that I've been playing with in poetry. This one is uh, the new word is haptic interface. Yeah, haptic interface is a brand new concept that you wear when you go to the movies. Okay, here it goes. Your hands in 3D gloves. The lights go down. Your fingers feel they're feeling popcorn, salty popcorn. The trailers roll, and it's another Alice, and your hands are plunging down rabbit's hole. But next, it's something with a solid R. You hold the cold, hard rod in your right as your left shoves in the clip. One more, a date night flick. Amazing how wet your hands become watching stars tumble in the surf, getting to know each other sweating yet here comes the feature each little frame captured down your fingers out your palm hey gotta go you can use my gloves
3: hola that's radio free oz for today you've had oz in your ears brought to you by the oz team i'm your host peter bergman my co-host david Osmond. King of Ones and Zeros, John Cumming, Phil Fountain does all the art, Tom Gedwillow is our webmaster, Dave Maloney, audio engineer, Bill McIntyre is our producer, and Scott Wild is our new social media guru. See you tomorrow.